0: Hello I'm Mercedes
1: and I'm Tash and you're listening to episode 206 of Chat Disney. Welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast and last week you may have listened and we talked all about the top 10 best Disney couples. Well we thought we would follow on in true Chat Disney style and so this week we are talking about the worst Disney couples but before we get into that let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week.
0: So this week we have some more Disney 100 news. We are, of course, now in the year of 100 years of Disney, Disney 100 as they're calling it. And that means there's going to be a lot more for us to announce over the weeks to come. But this week, and I'm sure lots of our listeners saw this on TikTok and Instagram because it definitely went viral, we got a first look at the Disney 100 exhibition, which is going to feature Walt Disney himself. You heard correctly, no need to rewind your podcast. Yes, the legend Walt Disney has passed away quite some time ago now. But Disney have used an archived video footage plus some AI tools to to recreate a lifelike hologram of Walt. And it really is lifelike. If you've not seen it, definitely go check it out. This full-size digital avatar speaks in Walt's voice and is going to be used throughout the exhibition for those that are lucky enough to go to it.
1: Very exciting. I cannot wait to see this. And uh, heading over to Disneyland Paris with some news today, and they have revealed their 30th anniversary grand finale merchandise. And there's some really cute pieces in it. They've got a new pair of Mickey ears, which feature Mickey's 30th top hat, a new T-shirt hoodie, a spirit jersey, and a new lounge fly. So very, very exciting indeed. And it does mean obviously that the celebrations are coming to a close. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. We have had the first look at the Royal Pub in Disney Village. Now, I don't mean to to badmouth anyone that, that enjoys a, a Weatherspoons, but if you're a listener in the UK, to me, it screams Weatherspoons. I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: Yeah, anyone going to Disneyland Paris that's never been to the UK, or maybe has only been a couple of times, but like is really interested in British culture, do not go to the Royal Pub, because it is definitely accurate, like the fact that there's a chicken tikka masala on there, which is the UK's national dish, but... I just think, you know, it's it's um, it's um not going to be the best sort of British fare, let's put it that way. Moving swiftly on to our American parks and really, really exciting, the first ever non-stop flight from Orange County, Florida to Orange County, California took passengers from Disney World to Disneyland in Anaheim last week. The air carrier is Breeze Airways and their first Disney to Disney flight took off from Orlando in international to john wayne airport last week on thursday the 16th of feb really really exciting and a little bit of bad news for walt disney world and i mean come on you saw this one coming we talk about it pretty much every week at the moment the Galactic Star Cruiser. Once again, it is struggling. We shared back in January that Disney were slashing the prices and they'd been forced to cancel some dates during peak season due to really low uptake. Well, now there are more rumours circulating that the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel, which is at Disney's Hollywood Studios, has once again started to ramp up its offer of 30% and 50% discounts in some instances for select customers that are choosing to stay for, for three days and two night experiences i can't say i'm hugely surprised about this to be honest i i thought when i heard about the galactic star cruiser that it was a really amazing innovative concept and i was really excited to see it spread across other ip but with that hefty price tag i I can't say that i'm shocked about this
1: me neither and i feel like every week it's like another report about how it's struggling so yeah let's see if this this makes a difference to it or if they'll discount it even more who knows And some Disney Parks UK news, that competition looking for the UK's biggest Disney fan has now closed. And at the time of recording, we are awaiting for the lucky winners to be revealed. I did not enter. I missed the boat on that one. But if you did check out Mercedes entry on Instagram, give her a thumbs up, give her a like, give her a love. I don't know if Disney is still checking if they've decided by this point, but hey, let's hope, keep our fingers crossed for Mercedes.
0: Absolutely. And any of our listeners as well, if you submitted your entry, definitely tag Tash and I, because we'd love to have a look at some of the submissions. And I feel fairly confident that, you know, they're going to pick 10 winners. Surely in our little chat Disney community, one of us has got a very, very good chance. So definitely let Tash and I know if you entered and good luck to all of you. Heading over to Marvel for some news. And this is really exciting. So we know that Spider-Man 4 is now kind of in the works or rumored to be in the works. And it looks as like, as though Tom Holland will be on board. So is he going to break the star, star Wars? He's not going to break any sort of Star Wars curse. The Spider-Man curse of only having three movies and obviously in Andrew Garfield's case having that third movie taken from underneath him we will see but it looks promising that we are going to get a fourth Spider-Man movie with Tom Holland as the man himself which is really exciting
1: very exciting And some sad news today. Bruce Willis. I know probably you're thinking what connections he got to Disney. Obviously, he's most famous for Die Hard. But he was, uh, he did also appear, obviously, in Armageddon. And we did have that attraction at Disneyland Paris until a few years ago. And also, Disney's the kid. Go back to the 90s and watch that movie. But unfortunately, he has been diagnosed with frontotemporal dementia. So we obviously know that dementia is a, a horrible disease. So sending lots of love to to Bruce and his family. And former Disney executive Dave Hollis has also passed away at the age of 47. It's a bit of doom and gloom here to end the news this week. Hollis worked for Disney for 17 years, including seven years as the company's head of distribution before quitting in 2018. And during his time at Disney, he helped oversee the relaunch of the Star Wars franchise, as well as hits including Frozen and Black Panther. So some huge, huge titles. And we're going to leave it there today. That is everything that has been happening in the world of Disney this week. We're now going to move on to talking about something a little happier, or not, the top 10 worst Disney couples.
0: Now, before we get into this, Tash, I've been really excited. I've managed to keep this from you for a week, but I obviously wasn't present during our segment last week, which was um, a TikTok challenge. A TikTok challenge is where you have to name as many of one thing as you can in 60 seconds. And I don't want to spoil it because if you haven't listened to this TikTok challenge, you must go back to last week's Valentine's episode. It is probably some of the most entertaining chat Disney listening that I've heard, certainly for a very, very long time. Tash, quizzed her husband, Benji, and it it makes for um, interesting viewership. I'm not going to spoil it, but let's just say his knowledge of Disney couples is slim to none, I think it's fair to say. So definitely go give it a watch. But I was curious because we always talk about Grumpy, my husband, and how he hates Disney, whereas your husband, you know, actively says he likes it, calls himself a fan nowadays. I would definitely pr- call that into question after that performance, but there we are. So I obviously couldn't get footage of this because my husband is a bit more savvy and has his wits about him and would never appear on the podcast. But I did time him for 60 seconds to see how many couples he got. What do you reckon, Tash?
1: I mean, he must have done a hell of a lot better than Benji. I feel like Chris is a bit like you, like he's got a bit of a sponge brain and he picks up on like these things just by you watching them in the background. So I'm going to go with he got 10.
0: You're very close. He got nine. Um, I did disqualify one of them because I was being harsh, and he said Mulan and Captain Chang, and it is Shang, so I didn't let him have that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. I was very impressed with his performance. I then played him Benji's performance. And even Grumpy was quite horrified and found it very entertaining at the mention of one of our favourite Looney Tunes characters as well, Um, which, you know what, Tasha's shaking her head. It's funny because I've actually, and this is going to seem like a lie, but I promise I, why would I lie about this? I have nothing to lie, like there's no reason, nothing to gain from lying about this. I did a Disney quiz once and it was when I was at university, so any of my university friends listening to today's episode will know where this is going immediately, and one of the questions in the quiz was who is Daisy Duck's love interest and the answer on the quiz was Daffy and I lost my mind <laughs> so I think it's quite a common misconception
1: that is awful honestly I've I've never been more disappointed in in my husband or closer to considering divorce to be quite honest with you but you're mentioning <laughs> that like on ASOS obviously of all places ASOS is a huge you know platform for buying clothes and things under Disney, they actually have a Looney Tunes hoodie. I think it's got Bugs Bunny on it. But it's it says on it, it's like called Disney Bugs Bunny hoodie or something like that it is horrifying.
0: I'm literally Googling this as we speak. It
1: was a little it, while ago, so it might not be on there anymore. But
0: Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm sure the community is like come for ASOS and it's been taken down. It's interesting as well. Like I've had situations, I don't know if you've ever had this, Tash, where I'll say to someone like, oh, something, something about Shrek. And they'll go, oh yeah, Disney. And I go, well, it's not Disney. And then they go, oh no, sorry, it's Pixar, isn't it? And I'm like, right, just get out, just leave.
1: I remember people always doing that at school. I I, I messaged someone else the other day. I was looking at invitations for my baby's birthday on Etsy and I found a design and someone had done like an array of different Disney characters and uh, she had included Tweety Pie so I just messaged her and I was like Tweety Pie is not Disney and she just messaged back a smiley face. (laughs)
0: Love it, love it and for the curious listener out there Tash is right. That Disney Looney Tunes t-shirt is still on ASOS. If you type in Disney Looney Tunes or just Disney, it comes up. It's a men's oversized circuit training t-shirt and it's got a picture of Bugs Bunny tangled up in a skipping rope. So there we go. Maybe... um, Yeah, we can get a shout out from from ASOS. Surely that's like a legal issue, right? That's like incorrect licensing. I don't know. But anyway, so if that has piqued your interest and you want to know what on earth Tash's husband could possibly have done to disgruntle myself and grumpy and make Tash consider divorce, I definitely recommend going back to last week's episode. If you go to sort of like five, 10 minutes from the end, you can listen to his amazing and it really is amazing TikTok challenge.
1: Absolutely. So we've gone off on a little bit of a tangent there, but it's all relevant. It's all relevant. So our top 10 worst Disney couples. And now we always say that we really like talking about our worsts. We love Disney, so it's nice to be a bit critical sometimes. So Miss Ades, why don't you kick us off today and start with your, the 10th or your fifth worst Disney couple?
0: Okay. So in number 10, and I really don't want to get any hate From anyone for this. It's just subjective. What goes on between, you know, a man and wife or a man and man or a wife and wife behind closed doors is entirely, you know, dependent on the couple. And I don't know the intimate details of these couples' relationships. So I just want to put that caveat out there. This is just what we see in the movies and in the TV series and franchises and so on in which these characters appear. So as a number 10, I have got from the Toy Story franchise, Bo Peep and Woody. Now, this one is a bit of an interesting one for me because it's very clear in the first movie that Woody is like really taken with Bo. He's blushes in front of her and she sort of flirts and she's quite sultry and I like that. But it's never, to me, clear that they actually are like a thing. Like I kind of feel like it's alluded to in that first movie, but it's not official. Then we cut forward to Toy Story 2 and it's pulled out a little bit more like I'm thinking about that final end scene and you've got Jess and Buzz, Jesse and, and Buzz kind of like with their arms linked and Bo and Woody, like the four of them are standing there. But again, it's kind of, it's just hinted at. Then, of course, we don't have Bo Peep in the third movie. And that's actually really sad. It's because her original voice actor passed away. And then fast forward to the fourth one. And she's like the love of his life. And he gives up everything obviously, you know, for himself, but to be with her. And it it kind of feels to me that it accelerates a little bit too quickly. We don't see the love grow. It definitely doesn't feel like they're an established item in the first movie. For me, it feels like he has a crush on her and she kind of is like flirting with him because she knows. And then all of a sudden it's just, we just accept they're a couple. We don't see the love glow, grow. We don't see it blossom or or flourish. And I, I don't know why that is I just think it's a bit of a random one
1: yeah I completely agree with you I think that you've articulated that very well it is like in in terms of you know a a love story it's very lacking in what we would want to see and it just feels a little bit unnecessary like we don't need it and yeah I think you're completely right that fourth film when she returns is so so random um so yeah I think that's a, a great choice
0: I mean everything about that movie is random and now we have a fifth one coming so you know that's just not ideal but there we are so that's what i've got in number 10 tash i'm curious to know what you've got in ninth spot
1: So in the ninth spot, I have got two characters who I really love, but I just I don't think they should be a couple for many reasons. And it is Phoebus and Esmeralda from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now I love The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's probably my third favourite Disney movie. I love Phoebus. I love Esmeralda. I think she's an extremely underrated Disney character. But I just again, and I know it was in the Renaissance period and it was in the 90s, and it was a different time for Disney. But I just think that that love story did not need to happen. Quasi, dear old Quaz, he is deeply in love with Esmeralda. He really falls for her. And I think that what we should have seen instead was a friendship between the three of them really blossom. I don't think that the writers needed to have a love. We didn't need to have a love story in that. And if you think about all the other Disney movies, the love story is always between, you know, the the princess who's the, the heroine and, and the prince who's the hero of the movie. Whereas in this movie, Quasi is the hero of the film and he isn't the love interest. So I guess you could argue it's the first time that Disney really did that. So it's a little bit original in that sense. But I just think that if they recreated or remade that film today, we wouldn't have that same love interest. I don't think it sends a very good message. And I don't really buy them as a couple either. Like I think they fall in love way too quickly or he falls in love with her. Obviously we've got that really kind of weird, um, I don't want to call it relationship, but that weird kind of lust that Frollo has with Esmeralda as well, which we've spoken about before, which is really kind of an adult theme for that movie. And I just think that the whole Esmeralda, Phoebus thing, like they kind of put it in because they felt that they needed a love story in it. And I really think it's unnecessary.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I'll start off by saying what I like about their relationship, and then I'll go into like why I think it's problematic. I like the fact that And this is going to sound awful, and I'm going to get so much hate for this, but whatever. If Esmeralda had ended up with Quasi, let's be honest, that would have been a little bit unrealistic. And I'm not saying for any reason that he doesn't deserve love and he doesn't deserve to be with a beautiful woman. I don't think that. And he does get his happy ending in the second movie with Madeline, who is another beautiful woman. So that's great. But their relationship is almost like A little bit parental like she really nurtures him and cares for him and he does look up to her and have a crush on her because she's Esmeralda and she's hot but she really nurtures him and it's more like a brother-sister relationship or a mum and a son like she really takes care of him and I don't think it would be appropriate for her to end up with Quasimodo and I just I realistically I just that's not going to happen for whatever reason I just don't think that that would have been viable I think you're right, Tash. I think because it was the 90s, they felt, well, we need a love story. So we'll just, we'll put her with Phoebus. And I actually don't mind that. They're both kind people. It's that real kind of Romeo and Juliet storyline where they're from different opposing sides. Um, or, you know, we see it with Poe and John Smith as well. But re- the reason I think it's problematic, you're right that we don't actually ever see them fall in love. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's a thing, which is weird. And it feels almost like you're hot, she's hot, like let's put you together. That's kind of like all they have in common is that they're like basically not Cosimodo. Like that's the only thing that unifies them. (laughs) But like joking aside, it's really problematic for a lot of reasons. And again, I've just likened it to kind of Pro Contest and John Smith. There's a similar parallel there where not only are they from different worlds, Phoebus's job is literally to like round up her, her people and, like, dispose of them. And, like, that's disgusting. And I would like to think that Esmeralda is a little bit different with John Smith because I feel like they do take the time to learn about each other's culture and we see them, like, exploring and then he's, like, they're just like us and, like, that's the whole point of the movie. But with Phoebus and Esmeralda, we never see Phoebus, like, defending the gypsies or anything. She's just like, yeah, he's hot, he'll do. Like, there's no kind of resolution it's just like oh yeah you're a soldier you know you have to persecute my people I'll just accept that because my other option is a hunchback that rings a bell it, it just for me it, it's not and it does feel like you know when they emerge at the end and she's in that like white bit of fabric and whatever and their whole he brings their hands together I remember growing up and maybe it's because I was a little girl and lots of things went over my head in that movie, like the Frollo lust theme. Maybe I just was blind to it, but I remember as a little girl being like, oh, and and it was very like, oh, that's the thing. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't catch that through the movie. It's not like a slow burner, like, you know, Ron and Hermione finally being together in the final Harry Potter. It's like, well, I could see this coming a mile off, you know, four movies ago. It's not like that. There's no... Indication in this movie that they like each other to me. You've got the kind of like enemies to lover thing. Like there's a bit of like taunting each other, but it's not strong enough for me. It. Re- I think you're absolutely right. It feels like they were like, well, well someone needs to fall in love. It can't be quasi because people won't buy that. So we'll give her Phoebus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You're completely right. I think that we see him being kind to her, and that's when we learn that he's actually a good guy but leave it as a friendship. Like I said, like I would love to have seen like the three of them that scene seen at the end, them come out together and all hold hands together. It's not like they need Quasi's blessing, like when he puts their hands together. I think that it should have been, we've created a great friendship here.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, moving on to number eight. And there's a word that you used there to describe Phoebus and Esmeralda. And I think it is the most relevant word for the next couple on my list. And that word is just unnecessary. So unnecessary. So I've got Jack Skellington and Sally from The Nightmare Before Christmas. And I know that there is an uproar and an outrage going on right now amongst probably about 50% of our listeners. I know that Jack and Sally are iconic. I know that there's that line. I can't remember what song it's in. It's like some sort of like emo band, rock band. And it's, we can live like Jack and Sally if we want to. I know people get that tattooed on them. And I know that there's a lot of Jack and Sally merch and all that good stuff. I know. But for me, it really, really feels unnecessary. Again, we don't see the love grow when they climb up that curly mountain that's probably got a name I don't know what it's called but the hill in Nightmare Before Christmas and they're like we're simply meant to be and they hold their hands and kiss again just like Phoebus and Esmeralda emerging from Notre Dame I remember watching that as a kid and being like oh you love each other there's no indication Sally wants to protect Jack and save Jack but I just thought she was like a decent human being, and like that's kind of the, the the trope, right? Or the the thread of Sally's character is she's a man-made character, she's made by Dr. Feckelstein or whatever he's called, but she's the only one with any common sense in Halloween town. And Sandy Claus even comments on it. He's like, Oh, she's the only one with any sense around here. You should listen to her. She's the only one that's like, We are Halloween characters, we should not be putting on Christmas. This is dangerous, you're gonna get killed. I just saw her as like a smart, feminist, strong, powerful woman trying to protect her friend. And then out of nowhere, they kiss on a mountain. And that's the final image of the whole movie. And like, I know, again, he goes to save her, like, but you could change Sally to any other character. And all of that movie works up until the kiss. You could, you know, you could change, well, Jack could fall in love with any kind of character. I mean, the freaky scary creatures but it doesn't have to be it's not about love it could be zero for goodness sake it could be his pet dog that's trying to warn him about santa and christmas and then zero gets kidnapped by oogie boogie at the end and like it doesn't there's no hint of a romance at all like the only thing i can think of is when she takes him that picnic basket and he like accepts it and he waves and she sort of like runs away because she doesn't want him to see her but like It's so subtle that again, I just remember being a kid and maybe I'm just not very switched on to these kinds of things. And probably throughout my life, I've not been switched on to like when people have had a crush on me or a crush on my friends. I just carry on like living my normal life, not really noticing. But... I really, really remember that moment. The first time I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas, seeing that kiss that we're simply meant to be, the reaching out of the skeleton hands and the kiss and thinking, oh, they're a couple. It just feels unnecessary for me.
1: I completely agree. And it it reminds me, it's a similar kind of thing, I think, that you're talking about with Bo and Woody and how they accelerate that love story. And again, the vibe I get is that Jack's this big figure, and Sally has a crush on him, and that's why she wants to save him, but they're friends. And then he does not once in that movie, I mean, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that movie, so I could be wrong here, but to my memory, he does not once display an interest in her, not once. And then it is just that random bit at the end. And it's that whole thing, like, again, I guess because she's like trying to save her, like, oh, I'm going to fall in love with her. I just don't buy it. And I don't buy their personalities working together as well. And yeah, again, I know that people think they're they're iconic and, and they love them. But for me, it's, yeah, it's a big no one. Actually, I'm glad that you had them on this list because I didn't think of them, but definitely I would have put them on mine.
0: Yeah. And like, I don't, it doesn't offend me that people think they're like couple girls, but I'm like come on, there's so many other people to choose from. And if you want to know who we think is worthy of aspiring to, then definitely go check out last week's episode. So that's who I had in eighth spot, Jack Skellington and Sally from Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Who have you got in number seven, Tash?
1: So in number seven, I have, and again, people might think this is a bit of a controversial one, but I had to have a classic love story in here. And this is the only one that I could think of. And it is Snow White and Prince Florian. I mean, come on, they don't know each other at all. And I know that, you know, the whole story is her, you know, someday my prince will come dreaming of a prince. She wants to fall in love with a prince, but they literally don't know each other. And I know this movie was made a very long time ago in the 30s. It was a different time. Disney would never get away with producing a story like that now. And I know it's based on a classic fairy tale as well. However, I just think I'm I'm trying to take it out of context here and not look at it in the time that it was made. And come on, like she literally sees him once and falls in love with her. And falls in love with him. Like, I don't buy it. He's a prince. She's in rags they just I don't believe their paths would ever cross like at the end when it's him that comes to kiss her how has he ended up there who's got him along like just because she's in love with him they don't know each other they've never never met and yet they go off and they live happily ever ever after together there's also the big controversy now about it being an unsolicited kiss not unsolicited what's the word I'm I'm looking for um um what's the word I'm looking for? Like unconsented? Unconsented, that's where I've got my brain. Um, Yeah, about it being an unconsented kiss. Um, And again, I think, you know, I'm not coming for Disney here, you do have to look at this movie at the time that it was made. However, I know I'm taking it out of context here, as I just said. But yeah, all these things aside, I just don't don't believe that a prince would fall in love with a random beautiful woman who lives with seven dwarves and then what happens after that like they go off and live in in the palace and then uh, like the dwarves bridesmaids at the wedding i don't know like i just i'm not i'm not a fan of that relationship and again like we don't know prince florian we literally see him at one point in the beginning and then at the end we don't see a love story blossom or a love story grow between them we don't know if they have any chemistry or connection whatsoever so for me it's just severely lacking so it's a big no-no
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this one's interesting because we do see this a lot in Disney movies and not just Disney movies, any sort of princess fairy tale movie is a common trope. And Snow White is the one that started them all. So it was kind of the standard for what a relationship looks like, what little boys and little girls should aspire to. And it is really weird. They don't talk. They don't have a conversation. Like they literally just sing that song and that's it. And what even is the song? Oh, I'm wishing my love. Yeah, to find me. And then she's like scared of him as well. She runs away from him. They literally don't even say, hey, like it's, you know, you could have like Prince Philip and Aurora, but it's not the same because they have a conversation, they get to know each other. Like, this is literally what... Like, she is busy doing chores. He sings, freaks around, she runs away. And then the next time she sees him, he's kissing her out of a coma. Like, it is really, really weird. It almost feels like when you watch that movie that there were more scenes of him and with her and they've been cut from the film. I mean, his name, Prince Florian, I don't even know where he's got that name and why we call him that, because it's never once mentioned in the credits of the movie or, like, it's just you know, he doesn't have a character. There's no character development. So actually, it's really difficult to comment on their relationship because again, we just don't see it. It goes in, you know, a million miles per hour from first initial meeting in which she is terrified to marriage. And that just is crazy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there there had to be, like you say, it's done, it's done a load. But yeah, I had to go with the the first one that started the one that started it all. Um, Okay, let's see what you've got. Have you got any stereotypes?
0: I've got a bit of a stereotype, but it's also, it's just, this one again is going to ruffle feathers. I'm here for the abuse today. I've gone on strong with uh, Jack Skellington and Sally, and I think this one as well is probably a really controversial one. So in sixth spot, I've gone for Ariel and Eric. Now, I know that individually, Eric is probably, again, up there with Flynn Rider. He is a lot of people's favorite Disney prints. He's become a bit of a gay icon as well in the LGBT community. I know all of that and this is not about him as a person and it's not about Ariel as a character either it is about their relationship. And again, it's just one of those ones like Snow White and Prince Florian where you don't even really need to go into that much detail to explain what is wrong with this relationship. So their first meeting, he's literally just been drowned, right? He's not with it. He doesn't know what's going on. He sees the silhouette of a beautiful woman. The sun is shining so brightly that he can't even make out the colour of her hair conveniently. And that's that. But he does recognise her beautiful voice. So, you know, we've got a bit of a prince charming trope there with the glass slipper she sort of left a part of herself with him that he's then in pursuit of and it is of course her voice Fast forward, Ariel, you know, the complete anti-feminist Disney princess giving up her voice to go and be with this guy and leaving her family and whatever. And I saw a really funny meme the other day and it was like, they literally eat your friends for dinner and like pollute your home. Like King Triton was low-key trying to save you. Like you should have listened to your dad. So she's just not the vibe anyway. But she goes up there. This guy is so like not even sure who this girl was, that he doesn't even recognize her because she can't talk. He's like, oh, it can't be you. Whatever. They literally don't have a conversation, not even written, because for some reason she can sign her signature beautifully on Ursula's contract, but can't write down, hey, I'm that girl that saved you the other day, but I sold my voice to a sea witch, but if you kiss me, it'll come back and we can get married. Oh, it's so problematic. And he's so fickle that then he meets Vanessa, who's the dark-haired version because obviously the sun disguised her hair. And he's like, yeah, sweet. She's a bit of a cow, but she sounds the same as that chick that saved me the other day, so it must be her not even, like, a moment later, they're getting married, like, 24 hours, like, he's got some serious commitment issues, and, like, well, not commitment issues, he's, like, too committal, like, you don't meet someone and marry them the next day, like, where did they get the caterers and, like, her dress and stuff from, that's a whole other question, and then when he realizes it's Ariel, like, literally, Vanessa hasn't even turned into Ursula at this point, So we watch her transform, she's like, Eric, Eric, it's me, and then he's like, oh, it's you, oh, Whoops, that woman I just uh, was about to marry. I better sack her off. Like, then he just changed it. Like, he doesn't care about the time that he spent with Ariel in the village and the kiss the girl moment. None of that matters to him. He doesn't care about the time he spent with Vanessa and the wedding. He just wants that girl on the beach that saved him, like, whoever she is. None of the other stuff matters. And the worst part of all is that Ariel's like, yeah, don't worry, babe. I totally understand. And then she marries him at the end and like leaves her family. It Honestly, I probably should have put this higher up actually now I've gone into it. I think this is the worst message for children. I think it's worse. At least with like Snow White, it's just like you don't see anything happen. Whereas with this is like, no, you see a lot of stuff happen, but it's like
1: really, really bad. Yeah. Do you know what? I can't even argue with that. As much as I love The Little Mermaid and I love Eric and I love Ariel, I do agree that couple, there are some problems there. And I think that for the narrative of the movie, they do have to be in a a relationship. There does have to be a love story there. But I think the way that it is done is not believable. I mean, like, as you said, Eric is so fickle. He's also a little bit thick, let's be honest. I mean, give the girl a pen, get her to write her name down. I don't even know if mermaids can write, but no, she must be able to because she signs her name on the scroll. So we know she can at least write her name, right? So, I mean, come on, just use your brain and at least get her to do that. Like He is definitely blindsided by, by love or crazy in love. I don't know, but there's something going on there. And I just think that, but this is something I'm really excited to see how they do this in the live action remake that we're getting in a few months time and seeing if they address any of these issues or if they keep it, very much the same i'd be very intrigued to see
0: yes and if you stay tuned for the end of today's episode we are going to be doing a live trailer reaction to the brand new trailer for the live action little mermaid which i'm really really excited about and i agree right i love aladdin and princess jasmine is my favorite princess but there were a few issues from a feminist perspective with the animated Aladdin, like the fact that, you know, she has to marry someone and then they become the Sultan and the fact that she doesn't even have a song in the movie. And then, of course, in our live action Aladdin, which is probably my favourite of the live action remakes that we've had, we see Naomi Scott's portrayal of Jasmine fight to become Sultan herself. And she has a song in the movie, which ironically is called I um, I Won't Be Silenced or speech, Speechless It's called I Won't Be Silenced. Kept sign. I, I can't. I'm just, yeah, I'm waffling. But anyway, I think this would be because I think The Little Mermaid is probably one of the most controversial Disney movies when it comes to kind of feminist issues. So I think that Disney have got a real opportunity here to reinvent Ariel's story.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure we will be talking about this lots in the coming months. So next up on my list, I, I think that people are going to come at me for this. I think this is probably my most controversial one. But I have got, and again, people will say probably, people probably think they're one of the most iconic couples of all time. I've got Kermit and Miss Piggy. Are they even a couple? Aren't they a couple? Who knows what is going on there? You know, they're they're in interviews. Miss Piggy claims that they're married. Kermit always plays it down and says that he's an actor in these Muppet movies and they're not really married. But then there's rumours that he just says that to protect their private life. She is seen at times kind of almost tricking him and cornering him into a marriage. The very fact that he's a frog and she's a pig, like they have children in the Muppets Christmas Carrier. Oh, I don't even know how that works logistically. For me, I just don't buy it. Like Kermit, I love Kermit. He's a great frog. He's a great character. He's, you know, a sweet, unassuming frog. That's what he is. He's everybody's friend. Miss Piggy, again, she's great. She's a fun, lovable character. She's a bit of a diva. I just don't buy the two of them together. And I just think the whole thing for me is really confusing. And I think that's why people like it, because it is a little bit open-ended and people can kind of make up their minds to some degree as to whether or not they are actually together. But yeah, for me, it, it just doesn't work. I'm not a fan of the the frog pig mix. It's It's not for me. So I had to put them on my list and I'm sorry for people that absolutely love them.
0: I think you're very, I mean, you're allowed to have whatever you want on this list, but I think it's a very valid choice. I think also Miss Piggy is quite like abusive. Like she's very highly strong and she has these tantrums, doesn't she? She's jealous. She's toxic. If those roles were reversed and the man was like that and the woman was the Kermit, you know, the diffuser, it just wouldn't be on television. But it's that stereotype of like the woman, the bossy woman that's like, you know, the it's like a very sort of matriarchal relationship but like I actually would say it's borderline abusive like she doesn't she's like "Oh, Corby, no but like I feel like she's quite toxic in many many ways so again it's just not a very good portrayal of a couple for children
1: yeah I think she gaslights him quite a lot like it's a very odd dynamic that they've got going on there
0: I agree. And I feel like, you know, back in the day, fine, but like there's been so much new Muppet content. And obviously they don't want to change her character, but like they could like she is positive towards Kermit, to be fair. But like I just she's she I really dislike her as a character and I feel like I'm letting that affect me. But like it's just not she again, just like Ariel, but for different reasons. She's not doing anything for the women's, the the woman's kind of viewpoint um in, in movies.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's very, very outdated.
0: Indeed. Right. So that's what you've got in number five. We're now moving on to our top four and in fourth spot, just narrowly missing out on our top three positions. I've got one. I don't think this is controversial, but. I feel like sad putting it in there because I really like the movie and really like the characters as individuals, but I've gone ahead and I've put Mulan and Captain Shang And this is another one where, you know, we've spoken about this before, Tash. It's so, so unnecessary. She absolutely does not need a love interest in that movie. Absolutely. The story could be exactly the same. You could still have him turn up at her family's home at the end and apologize. There's no need to have that romantic thread in the movie, so much so that Captain Shang was actually removed from the live action Mulan. He's not even in that film because it doesn't add anything to the story. I find it, I mean, it's a very, again, Captain Shang's a bit of a queer icon. Because there's definitely some kind of homoerotic, almost bisexual vibes that this is a man that he trained with for like a long, long time and became incredibly close to and trusted implicitly. He was, you know, his ally in a war for goodness sake. And then as soon as he finds out, you know she has a pair of breasts. He's like, Oh great. We'll date then. I mean, that's not normal. Is it? It, it, It's, it's, that's weird to me. He also, again, I know it's the military and I know that, you know, soldiers army is, is like a really disciplined environment, but you know, we're not going for historical accuracy here. This is a Disney movie. And I feel like, again, he's a really abusive, quite aggressive character. He's really horrible to Mulan when he finds out that she is a woman as well. It's not like he's like, oh my God, you're a woman. Oh, you've been through so much. I really respect you. I've got so much admiration. And then his feelings grow. He's actually really dismissive of her. It's not until like all of China are like, she is a hero that he's like, yeah, actually, yeah. Like uh, that's not true. Actually, he does kind of help her at the palace and whatever. But like, I just, again, it's so unnecessary. You could have that movie and it could be exactly the same. He could just come to her parents' house at the end and apologize. There doesn't need to be that romantic undertone. And then fast forward to Mulan 2, the terrible sequel, but if you have happened to watch it, you'll know that they actually break up for a period as well. Then she thinks he's dead and they get back together. It's like a really turbulent relationship. And I I think more than um Phoebus and Esmeralda and more than Jack and and Skelly Jack Skellington and Sally Jack and Skelly um it's again it's just like even more so unnecessary that you could have that movie and literally change nothing just take the romance out and it would be the exact same movie
1: yeah I completely agree and again it doesn't surprise me because it was of that period when Disney thought you had to have a love story in it and we don't have that anymore. We haven't had a good love story for ages. I actually kind of miss them. But yeah, it's completely, completely unnecessary. I don't like when he comes to the house at the end, like, does he even apologize? He doesn't seem very sincere. It's almost like he helps he helps her at the palace because he knows they need to save China in the um what's his name? like not the sultan what is he called like emperor emperor I got my brain today honestly it's not working they need to save the emperor so he kind of works with her together on that and then it's like she's getting all the credit for it all like I'll go and like get me a piece of that action and then when he goes to her house at the end yeah I would have just liked to have seen a really sincere apology you could have left it at that if people want to think there's a romance there then so be it and if not then not but I just think yeah we didn't need it Mulan 2 is atrocious. I think it was on my list of worst sequels when we did that episode way back when. Um, Yeah, completely unnecessary.
0: Brilliant. We are now moving into the final three, which is very exciting. So who is your bronze medal going to, Tash, for the Match Made in Misery Award?
1: So again, we're going with a bit of a theme here and we're sticking with the unnecessary vibes. I've got Buzz and Jessie. Now, I love the Toy Story franchise. And I think I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I'm not a big fan of Jessie as a character. There's something about her that I just don't get on with. I find her quite irritating, if I'm quite honest with you. And then the fact that they put her with Buzz is just completely random. It's almost like because they've got that kind of weird relationship between Buzz, uh, between Bo and Woody... That they felt like, okay, cool. Buzz needs to have someone. It's almost like when they created these movies, they did it without thinking. It's almost like, you know, like picking items off a shirt. Like, yeah, we've got to have that in it. We've got to have that in it. Yep, we've got to have Buzz has to have a love interest. Who can we give him? Oh, we'll give him Jesse. Like, I just don't buy it. Again, their personalities don't match at all for me. We don't see anything develop enough between them. Obviously, you know, he kind of helps rescue her at the end of Toy Story 2. And then we kind of see like a little spark ignite between them, I guess. And then in Toy Story 3, I can't even, I can't even think what, what happens with their relationship apart from the whole Spanish buzz thing, which she seems to get a massive kick out of, which is just a bit odd to me. And I'm just not a fan, completely unnecessary. Again, we don't need it. Get rid of it.
0: I completely agree. I think I actually don't think that it is a unpopular opinion around Jessie. I know quite a lot of people that can't stand her character. I think Joan, um, Joan Cusack, who voices her, has got quite a distinct voice that potentially not that many people are favourable about. And her character is quite high energy and therefore I think could be perceived to be like quite annoying. So I actually don't think that's controversial, Tash. I think quite a lot of people dislike Jessie. And by that, I mean, I don't like her. Um, Buzz and Jessie, Buzz and Jessie. I mean, I kind of feel like this whole episode was made for them, right? They're the weirdest mixture of characters ever. I kind of feel like... If it was just Buzz and Jesse, fair. But like the fact that we do have Bo and Woody as well, which we spoke about earlier in today's episode, I think it just sort of amplifies the really random wackiness of this. Now, we do have one amazing couple in the Toy Story franchise that I love, and their energies match, and they're the same kind of toy. And I am, of course, talking about Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. I think that they are great. They are the gold standard, and they're the only love interest that we need in those Toy Story movies. We've also got Rex and Trixie. They're like really. Really good friends. I don't need to see a romance there, but I kind of like these male, female, female duos. And actually like we don't see that much interaction between Woody and Jessie after that initial meet in Toy Story 2 because it's kind of taken away from us because Woody's always with Bo, Buzz is always with Jesse. And I think that's sad. So I, I agree with you. I just think it's weird. Like toys don't, toys need even a romantic, like Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head's different because the toys have literally been designed. Oh, we've got Barbie and Ken as well. Completely forgot about Barbie and Ken. And again, I really love their relationship. I think it's hilarious and kind of playing on gender or traditional gender stereotypes and gender roles we've got this very sort of campy feminine version of ken that i absolutely love and i think it's a really really nice change basically to the kind of you know the male toys that we see in in the toy story franchise so yeah i just i don't think that buzz and jesse absolutely without question deserve to be on this list i don't think that's controversial i think most people would agree with you
1: Do you know what? I'm absolutely gutted that I didn't think of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head for the best Disney couples last week. Like they should be up there in the top 10. They're so good. I love them. They're just like, they're your classic old married couple. They remind me of like my grandparents. They're brilliant. I think they should have been in the top 10.
0: Yeah, I did. I did think of them last week, actually. But um, for me, it was like a trade off between Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. And I went for went for the Incredibles. So there we are. Okay, we're at the final two. This has flown past. So this is my pick for the worst Disney couple. And I might get hate for this because I think it's a little bit of a cop out because they're a couple that are no longer a couple by the end of the movie. Massive spoiler there. I am, of course, talking about Princess Anna and Prince Hans. Now, I had Anna and Kristoff on my list of best couples last week, so definitely go back and give that a listen. I explained my reasons of why I really like their relationship. Let's take Hans being a villain out of it for one second, and I know it's really difficult to do that, but I remember watching this movie for the first time. And I actually didn't cotton on to the fact that Hans was the villain. I definitely realized immediately that like something was up because I was like, this is like, you know, the 2010s and you're telling me that you've gone back to the days of Snow White where she's literally just bumped into this guy at a ball and they're proposing their love and singing this stupid song to one another. So I definitely knew like they weren't going to stay together for the whole movie, especially when she met Kristoff. It was very, very predictable. But the twist at the end, I absolutely didn't see that coming. So I think that that is fine and well. We know that Hans doesn't really love Anna because we get lots of signals throughout the movie he doesn't go to save her. He like takes care of Arendelle. And I know that that's what she asked him to do. But if he had the same sort of like love and kind of passion as some of these other Disney heroes that we've spoken about, we spoke about last week, there would have been no question he would have gone to the North Mountain. He would have put somebody else in charge, maybe like one of the household who actually knows the townspeople of Arendelle Arendelle, or, or whatever. So that's like a massive red flag. Then the biggest red flag for me of all (laughs) with their relationship is the fact that Elsa does not agree and take it from someone who's been in some pretty awful red flag relationships over the, the course of my life. When your friends and family are telling you not to be with somebody and telling you that they do not give their blessing to your relationship and they don't want to be involved in it because they don't agree with it. They're saying that because they love you. And we know how much Elsa loves Anna. That is the whole point of the Frozen franchise is that sisterly love, that sisterly bond. It's ultimately what saves Arendelle. And Elsa does not approve of Prince Hans. For whatever reason, she says they've just met. I just get the vibe that she doesn't really like him, let's be honest. So there's a lot of issues with this. It's very different. The reason I've not got it well, I have got it pretty high. But the reason we've not got it in number one, Tash real number one, is because of the fact that I don't think that Anna and Han's relationship, whilst I've put it high, because it is a t- the worst relationship, obviously. He's a villain and just using her for power. I actually think in the context of our society and of children watching these movies today... It's probably the healthiest depiction of a relationship in any of these movies because it's there to show children this is not healthy. This is not normal. And then Kristoff is given to us as like the alternative. And I do think that's a really normal, healthy depiction of a love and a a relationship blossoming. So I don't think this one's damaging in any way, because as I say, it's put there to show us this is weird. But obviously it's the most problematic relationship of the ones we've spoken about so far.
1: Yeah, definitely. In the context of the film, I love it. And I love that twist. I definitely didn't see that coming. Disney hadn't done that a million times by that point. So I like it in that respect. And I do think it sends out a good message. But yeah, I mean, let's let's look at it. What's that comment like, when she says something about being normal? And he's just like, yes, you are completely normal. Like there's so many red flags.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He just he yeah, it is really obvious when you watch it back with hindsight, but I agree with you, Tash. I think Disney did a really good job to disguise it. So before we kick off, um, or, or Tash lets us know what we've got as the worst ever Disney couple. Have you got any dishonourable mentions?
1: Oh, good question. Um I mean my dishonorable I've got a dis- dis- dishonorable, dishonorable mention. And again, it's that question mark over whether they are a couple or not. It's more like crush but Peter Pan and Wendy now I'm not a fan of either Peter Pan or Wendy to be honest I'm not a massive fan of that movie and we definitely see that she's got a crush on her um, on her on him and there's a lot of jealousy involved and like the scene with the mermaids and with Tinkerbell etc etc and again I just I don't like it it's not for me I think it's unnecessary we don't need to have any relationship between them hinted at so yeah I'll give or take that one
0: that's fair enough. I've got a few dishonorables. We've got that trope that we see a lot where male Disney villains lust after our female hero. So we see this with Jafar and Jasmine. He wants to marry her and he locks her up and puts her in a sexy princess layer esque red outfit. Then we've got Gaston and Belle. I mean, that is just horrendous. Frollo and Esmeralda, we touched upon earlier. So there's a lot, a lot of that that I don't like. Um, I don't know if you can call them couples because none of these actually date officially, but there we are. And um, the one that I I've got is Dolores and Mr. Mariano or whatever he's called from Encanto. I hate that. I really, really hate that because he just wants to get married, like, doesn't care who it's for or who it's to, rather. And she knows this because she's overheard his thoughts in the village. She says to Isabella, like he wants to have 10 babies or whatever it is. Like, and obviously Bruno says the man of your dreams is just out of reach blah, blah, blah. So she's just like, oh, great. Now he's available. But it's like, she's definitely second fiddle to her cousin Isabella. And I think that's really sad that she's still like, it's good because she puts him in her place. She's like, slow down when he's like, oh, let's get married. She's like, slow down, which is healthy. But I'm still like, he wanted to be with your cousin.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Like, he is another one. I think he's a bit of a pretty boy. Um, I don't think there's a lot of depth to him. And I'm hoping that if we do get an Encanto too, which I will not be surprised about, that that relationship is dead and buried.
0: I hope so too. And I definitely think Isabella could potentially be a lesbian. And in fact, the voice actor that voices Isabella actually did an interview where she said she was like, she went, I think, and then she corrects herself and she goes, no, I know that Isabella is gay. And I think that's a really interesting, if you look at the Isabella storyline, how she feels she has to marry Mr. Mariano for the family. And she's like, I don't actually want to marry him. Putting that layer, I think makes it even more interesting.
1: Amazing, love that. Right, so we are on to the worst Disney couple of all time. And for me, this was a surefire one. There was no other question. I've got, and again, it's that whole unnecessary thing. I've got Fix It Felix and Tamora Kowloon, Calhoun, however you say her name. What are Disney doing with that? We do not need that. I kind of feel like they wrote that in to almost give a bit of a message almost like in, in the way that they didn't do it with Quasimodo and Esmeralda because it wasn't believable. I feel like they've kind of done it with this to kind of be like, oh, you can be anyone and you can get the girl of your dreams, blah, blah, blah. But I don't buy that. They're not a realistic couple at all. They've got absolutely zero in common. Their personalities couldn't be more polar opposite. And I know the opposites attract, but come on, within reason. And I just hate it. I think it's so unnecessary for the story. We don't really see much of a story or a romance develop between them. And it just is not for me. I I just angers me. I hate that relationship so much. I'm not a big fan of either of those characters, to be honest with you as well. So for me, yeah, just let her go on and be a badass woman. She doesn't need a little man. And I know they've kind of broken stereotypes there. She's kind of the more stereotypically, I don't know, like... masculine one, I guess. Or like, yeah, she's like a real feminist. And then he's kind of like hiding behind her almost. So I guess they've kind of like role reversed in that way. But I just think that she didn't need to have a man, like just let her go off and and do her own thing and be a great woman. She doesn't need him.
0: I feel like I'm glad she has a love interest because obviously her fiancé or yeah, fiancé, because the wedding didn't quite happen, was killed And so, like, I want her to be happy or whatever. But I agree with you, like, why him? And, like, also her husband that she was going to marry, her fiancé, was, like, really attractive as well. Like, and I just, it's just weird. Again, like, it's kind of, it feels like they're trying to do the Miss Piggy Kermit, the Mike and Celia from Monsters Inc. kind of thing, like, the little funny guy with the big, tall, beautiful woman. It's the Jessica and Roger Rabbit kind of, frame or template if you will um but it doesn't work because she seems irritated by him like Celia Mike massively gaslights Celia and we didn't talk about this last week but like for all the flaws that they have she finds him endearing right like she finds him cute but then also like Roger Rabbit and Jessica Rabbit everyone's like how are they together but she's like, he's hilarious. Like he's the funniest person. She like defends him and backs him up. I feel like Calhoun like puts Fix it Felix down and like is annoyed by him. And like, even when they do become a couple, she is like visibly annoyed by him. And that's where it doesn't work for me.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like I could buy that more if they were already an established couple and they'd been together for like ages then I I don't think I'd have such a problem with it but it's the fact that they meet in that first movie and supposedly fall in love but yeah it is that whole thing that like we don't really see enough chemistry or a spark between them so yeah not for me.
0: There we go so that is our list of the worst ever Disney couples, our anti-Valentine's Day episode, if you will. Definitely let us know what you thought was your favourite couple on this list. Maybe we missed somebody last week or maybe there's a really awful couple that we completely forgot to include. Do let us know. As ever, you can send us a tweet at ChatDisneyUK. Or you
1: can find us on Instagram at ChatDisney.
0: We are now going to move into the final part of today's episode, and we are going to be giving our live reaction to the brand new Little Mermaid live action teaser trailer. What are you waiting for? I don't know. Something amazing, I
1: guess.
0: So going into this, Tash, obviously, you're a huge Little Mermaid fan, and Ariel's your favorite Disney princess. I know you're really, really excited about this live action but we have spoken about how there's been a lot of live actions recently and Disney need to keep doing this? So I'm really curious to kind of know before we watch this, where your head is at with this one.
1: So yeah, I hate myself for it because I hate that they're doing live action after live action. We don't need it. We don't need the little mermaid. The, the original is to me the best or one of the best Disney films, the top three. I absolutely love it. They don't need this. However, I can't help but be excited about it. And I cannot wait to see, you know, Halle Bailey playing Ariel. I think that that has been cast really well. I'm really excited to see how they're gonna do Flounder and Sebastian. Um, And I hope that, I'm, I'm worried about the CGI. I think sometimes in these live actions, it can look a little cheap. I think in The Lion King, it didn't really work because the fact that they made them, they were so realistic. It kind of sucked all the emotion out of the animal's eyes. Um, and then I found I wasn't really able to connect. So I'm very nervous about how um, Flounder and Sebastian are going to be presented to us. And I don't think we see, we're see we going to see them in this trailer. Um, I don't think we're going to see them for a very long time. Right until maybe like the full trailer comes out just before the movie is released. Um, I'm also ner- nervous about Ursa. And I know we got our first glimpse at her in this trailer. Um, so that is kind of where where my head is at. But saying that I did like Beauty and the Beast. I did like Aladdin. Little Mermaid is another classic fairy tale Disney story. I'm hoping that they do us proud. And I am hoping that they do change some of the story to kind of answer some of those problems that uh, that we have within the first one that we spoke about earlier.
0: Amazing. So I actually didn't know that we're going to get our first glance at Ursa. So I'm really excited about that. Um, you've obviously you haven't watched this trailer neither have I but you've obviously like read some stuff about it because you mentioned Ursula there have you heard anything else about it
1: no that's it
0: okay I'll be honest and say I've heard one thing and I'm going to be looking out for this and unfortunately Tash it does speak to one of your fears there is a screenshot that I've seen going around and it's a meme. And it's actually, if you Google like the little mermaid teaser trailer or or search for it on YouTube, it's even the shot that comes up of the video before you press play, which I can't believe Disney have done, but maybe it's because, well, actually I'm not watching it from the official Disney YouTube account. So that might be why, but there is a moment of CGI of Ariel that I've seen and, and, I I don't even have words for how bad it looks. So I'm just putting that out there. It's her face as well. So no excuse. Should we just dive into it? I can't wait to see it.
1: Love the pun. Let's do it.
0: Oh, I didn't mean to do that.
1: (laughs) Out of the
0: sea Wish I could be That's literally it.
1: Yeah, it's very, very brief. Um, and it's not too dissimilar from what we've already seen. Um the CDI I'm I'm very worried about now. I'm hoping that this is in some kind of not finished state at the moment and it's gonna look better because this bit here that we said Mercedes has just rewound it and paused it on an area was kind of like flopping back onto some, I think they're jellyfish, aren't they? Um it looks like
0: a computer game yeah i actually think that that's an insult to software developers i mean it looks like a computer game from like the 80s
1: yeah it's but it's bad it's bad that can't be that can't be the finished like how it's going to look surely the rest of it looks okay it's just this bit is terrible if,
0: yeah if if it is the final thing. I feel like they should cut that bit out, like just cut that scene out. But yeah, I think that Under the Sea looked amazing. Like when the, all the aerials in Atlantica, and um, all the aerials, all the mermaids kind of popped up in Atlantica and you've got like the Under the Sea. I mean, Under the Sea is hot right now, right? We've just had Avatar The Way of Water. We've got that amazing scene in Wakanda Forever that honestly, I know that you're not into Marvel, Tash, but there's this one scene. Uh, you don't like the sea either, so I'm probably not going to sell this for you. But Shuri's character goes under the sea and she goes to this kind of almost mermaid-esque town and that Clonda Breeze music is playing and I was just in the cinema and like I felt like I wanted to just be consumed by the screen. I've never seen anything more appealing ever. It was visually stunning. I'm not surprised that that movie's nominated for several Oscars. And again, Way of Water, you know, it almost looked like a tropical Maldivian paradise. So I do think like the water theme is like super hot right now. And they've done a really good job of like the visuals there. And we see that shadow of Flounder at the beginning, but I think we've seen that before, haven't we? When he's kind of swimming out of the... Cave behind her. Um, and he does look like Flounder that we're familiar with from the animation. He looks like the same shape. Um, it's just a little silhouette that we see. But again, I don't think that's new. And then Ursula was the other new thing. But again, not much to see there.
1: We literally see her eyes and a tentacle. Um, tentacle looks good, actually. Tentacle does look quite good. It'll be interesting to see with like when we see her moving around. Um talking about the sea thing, I mean, obviously you touched upon that. I don't like the sea. It's a big fear of mine. And I'm obviously fine with it in the animated Little Mermaid because it's clearly animation. But seeing it in this trailer, I'm now a little bit nervous about how I'm going to, how comfortable I'm going to feel watching it.
0: I mean, she doesn't spend that long under the sea, does she? She can't wait to get away from her family, so I wouldn't worry. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> um, interesting, the scene of Ariel and Eric. Um, sitting in the kiss the girl scene, that looks identical to the movie. You've got like the the kind of willow around them and the little fireflies, and Eric looks pretty decent. I'm actually not familiar with the actor that's portraying Eric.
1: No, I mean because we, you know, we were rumored or we were going to have Harry Styles at one point. He was up for it, wasn't he? Um, I think he's I think this. I think this is our first look at Eric as well, isn't it? Properly, and I think he's a pretty good. Eric. Um, I think he's quite true to to the original, not that he has to be. But yeah, I'm, I'm quite a fan of this, Eric.
0: Yeah, it looks like as well, again, I could just be looking too much into this, but when she's under the sea, her hair's almost kind of like a dreadlock. And I think that's probably because, you know, if I spent loads of time in the water, my hair would go like that as well. But actually, when we see her in the boat with Eric, she's got like a bandana on and I feel like her hair looks a little bit more sort of smooth, maybe because she's on land. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. I don't know. I do
0: think it's a shame, actually. Again, I'm just looking at her character design and I'm really sad that they've not gone with the vibrant red hair.
1: I'm really sad about that because I think that is so iconic to Ariel. Ariel. And we know, because I I think we might have spoken about this in in the news a few episodes ago, but we know that Disney are now looking for an Ariel for the parks who is similar to the Ariel from the live action. And I do think I'm going to miss her bright, vibrant red hair.
0: But that will just be a one-off. I don't think they will replace the original Ariel. Like, we saw that happen with Maleficent. They had that Angelina Jolie version of Maleficent for, like, a period. And now it's gone back to, like, the green face Maleficent. So I'm sure they'll still have the red-haired Ariel as well.
1: Yeah, I hope so. But, yeah, May 26th. I am excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go see it, obviously. Like, you and I will probably end up going to see it together. But, like... I've got really low expectations of this one. I think I had really low expectations of Aladdin and it it really pleasantly surprised me. I'm not that into The Little Mermaid, to be honest with you, the original anyway. So maybe that's good. Maybe the fact that I've got low expectations and I'm not that passionate about The Little Mermaid means that I've got more to kind of enjoy when I watch it. We've got, um,
1: some, we've got some new music from Lin-Manuel Miranda as well in it, if I'm not mistaken. What? So I'm, yeah, I believe so. Um, just double check that. But I'm sure that he has something to do with The Little Mermaid. I don't know if he's written new songs or if he's composed something. I don't know. But obviously, you know, huge Lin-Manuel, Man, Lin-Manuel Miranda fans over here. So I'm very... Excited to to kind of see how he's putting his stamp on it and what that is going to entail.
0: Yeah, so this is crazy. So I've yeah, he's written four new songs. He's also a producer, so that hugely encourages me.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we only have to look at you know Encanto Moana to know that he has only done the Disney Company favors. With those movies, I know you're not a massive fan of Encanto, of, of, of Encanto, of Moana, Mercedes, but um, yeah, soundtrack-wise, it's it's very strong. So yeah, I'm excited that we're going to get some new songs in in this movie. Also, scared, but excited.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love Speechless. I love Speechless, and that was Alan Menken for Aladdin, the live action. So I I have no worries about this. I think it'll be great. Also, the director of this movie is Rob Marshall who I'm a really really big fan of Rob Marshall if you're thinking who's that he directed Chicago with Renee Zellweger and with Catherine Zeta-Jones he also directed Memoirs of a Geisha Nine Pirates of the Caribbean the fourth one funnily enough the one with the mermaids in so he's no stranger to mermaids in film and I think the mermaids in Pirates of the Caribbean look amazing Uh, Into the Woods and also Mary Poppins Returns so he's no stranger to fairy tales musicals big productions see he seems like the perfect choice for this
1: yeah definitely well we shall see and i'm sure when they release a full trailer we will do another trailer review but that pretty much concludes everything we're going to be talking about today as always we will be back next week at the same time and same place and we look forward to speaking at you again then see you then bye thank you goodbye now goodbye goodbye thank you goodbye